the All Things XR podcast. where you can get the best AR VR analyzers from the biggest names in the field. Hi everyone, welcome to the All Things XR podcast, I'm Mojtaba. In today's episode, we have a conversation with Jake Sally, CEO of Jadu. Hi Jake. How are you doing today? Thanks very much, Jake. Welcome to the All Things XR <laughs> podcast. Can you tell us more about yourself and your background? Yeah, um, pretty winding road, but in a nutshell, um, I kind of came up in the traditional entertainment space. So I worked in Hollywood for the better part of uh, four or five years. I kind of had a winding path. I started at a traditional talent agency, you know, not making a ton of money getting staplers thrown at my head, crazy hours. Um, but what I found is I was working for an agent there who represented these incredible writers and directors, these folks that would start off at something like the Sundance Film Festival and would go on to make movies like Black Panther. Uh-huh. And I went from there to working at Hasbro Studios, which uh, is the entertainment arm of Hasbro the Toy Company. So while I was there, I was working for the head of the studio, kind of getting a chance to see how They were taking their core IP, Transformers, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony, and developing stories for those different properties across everything from TV, film, digital, uh, you know, new types of games, comic books, mobile games. And it was there while I was at Hasbro that I actually tried my first VR headset. And you kind of have to understand, I was coming up, uh, I grew up in the 90s in Colorado, very idyllic, as I think as idyllic as it gets. (laughs) And... I spent most of my time reading and playing video games. And so when I put on that VR headset, it kind of brought together all of my favorite things in the world, kind of this unlimited imagination that comes with reading predominantly fantasy and the fun, social, interactive nature of video games. And I've been working in you know, the traditional Hollywood space for a while, and I liked movies, I liked TV, but there wasn't this thing that I was willing to spend all my nights and weekends obsessing over until I found VR. And when I found that, I fell all the way down the rabbit hole. Um, I really uh, started going to as many VR conferences as you could find, and this was, you know, keep in mind, like 2016, so there were, not, there were only so yeah. many of these, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I kind of, I got so deep into it that kind of, I went into winter break and I was like, I had watched uh, Facebook acquire Oculus and I was like, the train is leaving the station. I want to be right at the start of this. I quit my job at Hasbro and I swore to myself I would not take another job unless it was a VR related job. And, you know, I was an English major by trade. I've been doing a lot of entertainment, but I was not someone who had a technical background and I was fortunate enough to land at this company, 2-Bit Circus. And 2-Bit Circus, at that time, they were kind of like Imagineers for hire. So they would get hired by different large companies or countries to come in and make these kind of fantastical things uh, that kind of ranged from one year they made a tequila cloud, they had made uh, (laughs) all sorts of VR experiences and 360 video experiences. And I was able to join the VR division of that company. And it was the best decision possibly I've made in my life because it let me be surrounded by incredible engineers that really at a time in XR when most people were saying, don't do this, don't do that, it'll make people sick, et cetera. They were just saying, we're gonna do all of these things so we can engineer our way out of it. And so my perspective on XR has always been, there's always a path forward. There's always a way to make the dream come true. And I worked there for about two years, was really kind of bridging traditional entertainment and the engineering firepower of 2-Bit Circus to start putting together a slate of projects that, again, combine like more traditional writers, directors with the engineering and prowess of 2-Bit Circus. And they went in a really interesting direction into building this kind of like micro amusement park, which is a location-based entertainment space for all sorts of things, not just XR. Uh And... For me personally, I love, you know, I love my artists. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave to the artist. <laughs> so 
there wasn't as much for me to do in that type of setting. So I ended up leaving and going to work at Riot, which was Verizon Media and Verizon's kind of like content innovation arm. And they they were really interesting as well because they had domain expertise in the world of 360 video and were really, really interested in expanding that uh, into other types of content um, that still fit under the banner of immersive. And I was coming from having done really some of the craziest things that have been done <laughs> at the time in the XR space. And so I came in, um, I had a lot of reservations about 360 video. I had watched us stitch together all sorts of projects and really knew that, you know, the juice isn't really worth the squeeze in most cases for 360. Mm -hmm, there's just, yeah. there's almost, there's almost always a better way to shoot it 2D. Um, and they knew that I knew that. And so we kind of sat down to think, okay, what's, what's the best approach here? Um, and honestly, all credit to Riot's CEO of the time and co-founder, Bryn Muser. I, I came in and I, I put, proposed a pretty outrageous idea, which was, look, we should take almost all of our production financing that we're putting towards creating these 360 videos. And I'm telling you, it's like they had shot all over the world. They had shot in war zones, underwater, everything. Um, and my proposal was, look, there is a collection of insanely talented artists that are pouring blood, sweat, and tears into virtual, like six stop virtual reality experiences, augmented reality experiences. They're taking these projects 90% of the way there. All they need is that extra 10% and we can provide that. And the pitch was, let's take all of our internal production funding and distribute it to artists and their projects. And through that, we'll be able to build out a slate of content and really learn where is this medium going next? Because it's definitely not 360 video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and so we had, honestly, one of the best times of my life. We got to work with all sorts of incredible artists um, and, that kind of, we did all, all, every project under the sun. We did multi, multi episode virtual reality pieces. We did historical recreations where we took photogrammetry scans of like Nelson Mandela's prison cell and let people step back in time and history. We did multi part uh, episodic experiences created entirely in tilt brush with motion capture to bring those avatars to life. And one of those things that we did was we invested a small amount in a college student from Pakistan named Asa J. Malik. And he had this augmented reality experience that blew my mind. And we've been doing a lot of investing in the virtual reality space, um, but I really hadn't found a good AR project. One that I could feel confident was kind of taking things in the right direction. There were a lot of technical pipelines we could explore. And he kind of emerged onto the scene and with you know, three other college students had really begun to build one of the most cerebrally interesting projects I've ever seen called Terminal 3. And Terminal uh -huh. 3, the setup was, it was a HoloLens-based project. No one was making interesting content for the HoloLens. It was all enterprise. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Except exactly. for him. And I, and I don't really even know how he got his hands on a HoloLens, honestly. It was in a small, like, liberal arts school in Vermont called Bennington College. I think through his, like, uh, architecture uh, department. And what he did is he was doing volumetric capture of a lot of perceived of Muslim perceived Muslim Americans. And he was doing these interviews. So he would do like a two hour long interview with them. He would record all of it and he would cut it up into this kind of branching narrative. And you would put on the HoloLens and take on the perspective of a perceived of a basically of a TSA security, you know, airport officer who was interrogating someone. And these, well, I think part of the genius of this was the person you were interviewing, interrogating, really, they started off like very digitized. You couldn't really see them as human. It was almost as like you were looking through them at them through a scanner. And he had set up this very clever uh, decision matrix where if you asked questions that were what you would expect from a security officer, where are you from? Where are you going? They remained in this kind of like abstracted digital ghost almost. But if you asked more human questions, they began to appear more human. Interesting. If you ask them, what, what's that tattoo that you have? Like, what are you excited about when you get to America? And this kind of like visual divergence based on 
what you choose to do. I, again, like I, I still think it's one of the most interesting and compelling experiences. And so this experience went on to the Tribeca Film Festival. We were able to come on as producers of the project. Um, it toured all over the world. It was taught at, it's taught presently at UC Berkeley and USC. And it was really the start of a very long and ongoing now <laughs> relationship with Asad where, um, back in February, he asked me if I would come join his company, Jadu, which is where uh-huh. I pres- presently work. Um, which at the time was a really focused on making short form volumetric video, really holograms that people could put into their space. 15, 20 second clips of different performers. These could be musicians like Lil Nas X. These could be um, influencers, like digital influencers like uh, Josh Richards. You know, it was a pretty wide range. And so that's kind of like what's that's I I don't want to dig keep going too far into the the Jake saga, but like the umbrella of it really sits under this idea of like, I really I did. I've done a lot of reflection (laughs) over the course of Uh quarantine to really think about like, because it is kind of a crazy path, right? It doesn't, there isn't like a, a natural logical progression to it. Exactly. And I was just following my, my passions of the time. But I, what I realized is really the narrative thread to all this is this idea of complex problem solving. I love it. I love complex problems. And when I started, it was the complex, the complexity of storytelling and how do you get an emotional reaction out of people. And as time has gone on, that's really maintained the difference is it's transitioned into what's the best medium, which can range from TV, film, digital, VR, AR, NFTs, as we'll see in a second. But also, why is that the best medium and how can technology improve it the way that those stories are told? Um, exactly. So that's kind of the, that's the saga in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks very much, Jake. Yeah. So uh, what is Jadu? Yeah. Um, Jadu is the definitive Web3 augmented reality platform. Um, and what that really means is there are increasingly more and more NFT collections that are 3D. And there are a couple of platforms that exist out in the world that give you an opportunity to play with NFTs and do some sort of interaction game that kind of ranges from like the sandbox to Decentraland. Um, many of these places are constrained to desktop or virtual reality, or alternatively are constrained in terms of the visual style, um, which again, makes sense as you're building a platform in some ways where you're like, look, we want everything to look voxel, or you know, you can tell what Fortnite, I would argue as a platform is like, everything looks like a Fortnite thing. Uh-huh. Um, for us, what's been really important is there are all of these different communities that are being created, like NFT collections are really forming communities. Communities is the community is the buzzword in my mind of 2021, mm-hmm. uh, at least within the crypto world, crypto community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And all of, you know, what's happening is this entire space is uh, kind of like being dispersed into all of these separate places. And it's really hard for some of these communities to come together. And like, you know, as a, as a, you know, growing collector and for a lot of people that are collectors uh your cerebral bandwidth is kind of getting maxed out because every single one of these communities is building their own like i like siloed thing right and it's hard for there to be kind of too many interactions between them and what we're trying to build with jadu in part is twofold one a place where all of these communities can actually come together um Uh and we're most interested in 3d 2d nfts are awesome but it's not the most interesting thing to do with augmented reality necessarily. Again, you know, I can imagine very easily support there. You can, you can put your 2D NFT on a wall. Looks great. Awesome. Um, but what's more interesting is what we've been re- working really hard on over the last couple of months is completely rebuilding the app, um, which is, was an augmented reality app for short form holograms and is becoming an augmented reality app that allows you to take your 3D NFT collections and turn them into playable characters in augmented reality. Um, so that's a big part of it. And what's nice about the way we're structuring it is, you know, we're as happy having a voxel character in our world as we are having a, um, you know, more photorealistic character, a more wacky character. Again, 2D collections, we want these to all be able to coexist in what we're calling the mirrorverse, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is really the... which is really the augmented reality manifestation of the metaverse, right? Um, 
coming from having done really like 40 plus XR projects, um, I know a couple things with pretty firm conviction. <laughs> um, people are starting to come around to VR, but the timeline for that is definitely extended. And in the world of augmented reality, headset-based AR, whenever it comes out in, a, in like a really meaningful consumer-facing way is great, but in the short term, mobile AR is where it's at. And the hardware capabilities of mobile devices it's getting really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, in a, you know, we, we were used to doing, you know, Austin and I have done a couple AR projects, as I mentioned earlier, that have kind of done, done all the things you're supposed to do. The most, I would argue, success you can have with AR, headset-based AR, we did it. It was great, but we still only reached tens of thousands of people. And, you know, when we dropped the Lil Nas X hologram, we reached 150,000 people, probably more than we'd ever reached with all of our headset-based AR projects combined. So... The scale capabilities of mobile is still, it's too rich to pass up. And the metaverse, wherever it heads, I don't think people are going to want to spend all day sitting and doing things. And this is coming from a gamer. <laughs> you know, I'm in, New I'm in New York right now doing, uh, we had some board meetings and whatnot. I brought my PlayStation with me. I love playing video games, but I couldn't imagine being constrained to just being seated and that being the only way I can really participate with all of these digital assets that I'm purchasing, worlds I want to explore, I, I need to have the flexibility to be, do it on the go. Um, so really, really excited about kind of where we're headed. We're, um, what is today, Friday? Yeah, next Friday, we'll be launching, re, kind of launching the rebranded and restructured Jadu app. So it's going to be a really exciting moment. That's great. That's great. Um, also, Jadu means in some languages magic, like Farsi, for example. Uh, in and, Urdu, yeah. Yeah, um, in our, yeah is... also my uh, Farsi is my native language. It also oh, means magic, yeah. <laughs> These languages <laughs> yeah, are think, similar somehow. Which I honestly, I love that element of it. Again, I'm an English major, so I, uh -huh. the, the idea of words having power is really important. And I think for this, it can't feel like a tech demo. We've done lots of tech demos, but I think like Terminal 3 and subsequent works, like really what's been powerful is there's a real emotion tied to some of this stuff. And I think AR is hitting that point where it's becoming indistinguishable from magic, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, in certain ways, but there hasn't been like a real, it's been really hard to incentivize and give people the use case for augmented reality in a way that isn't just for a face filter, right? Like right now, AR is at this point where their filters are awesome in some ways and horrible in other ways. They're great because it's <laughs> yeah. exposing lots and lots of people to the just the fundamental concept of spatial content, right? Things that can be placed in your real world, can have occlusion, can be mapped over your actual physical clothing. And like the, all of those things, there's like, someone's got to flip that switch and I'm glad that it's been happening. But what's hap what's gonna happen is now what, right? Every AR experience can't be 15 seconds. It can't just be a filter with the intention of really delivering, like the moment you open your phone, open whatever app is providing the short form AR, the end result cannot always be thinking in terms of a 2D photo or video. You know, that's sad. It's really sad. <laughs> exactly. um, it it has to be that you want to live in 3D. And that's what we're building. And this kind of rich AR that we're talking about is being able to place multiple 3D objects and have them have relationships with each other, um, which maybe is a good place to jump into uh, Jetpacks if you want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, we'll get to that. So... Um... <laughs> Jake, um, as you said, Jadu is working on a metaverse. Um, what is your definition of metaverse and what is Jadu's role in it? So we're building a mirrorverse, which I do think there's a, a small distinction there. Um, I think down the road, the intention is definitely for this to be um, an interactive and interoperable world where you can take assets from any of your different spaces, bring them into another world and play, shop, whatever your soup du jour is. <laughs> um, I think what, you know, having done enough of this now to know is you're like, look, there are fundamental, someone with 
an astronomical amount of resources is going to have to solve the interoperable problem, right? Like if I build an mm -hmm. asset in Unity, all of those textures and shaders and, you know, the bone structure for different 3D assets, it doesn't naturally like magically translate into an Unreal Engine experience or a mobile experience. Like there's still layers of friction that have to be solved. Um, mm -hmm. For us, that layer of friction that we're focused on solving is how do you just put it into augmented reality and have it be clean and easy to use um, in the short term. Um, Longer term, uh, you know, we have and I've always had grand ambitions in terms of like when we say the definitive Web3 AR platform, we really mean it like it's we're seeing a lot of folks that are, I think, doing things slightly backwards in terms of they want to raise a bunch of money and then start making AR platforms versus really Again, we've done enough at this point to know the best way to make an AR platform is to make an AR platform. It's not to raise <laughs> a bunch of money. And you have to both understand the history of where AR has been, what's been possible on headset, what's becoming possible on mobile to really start testing that. And that's we, you know, we launched our Discord a couple weeks ago. Maybe it's about a month ago now. It's been one of the Great. best ex experiences of my life because we have like basically dedicated we're going to have dedicated playtesters who can not only call out bugs, can offer product features and having this like instantaneous feedback loop is going to be amazing. And mm -hmm. we, we love our discord. Honestly, it's like, I, maybe we're spending too much time in it, but it's letting us fundamentally think about as more communities are coming in. Cause as an aggregator, really, you know, as a platform that's bringing lots of communities together, it's a pretty tricky situation to think through, which is, okay, what is the best way in which all of these communities, which have their own, um, their own style, their own memes, their own vernacular, how are they all going to coexist in Jadu, whether it's our discord or whether it's, um, the app itself, what is the way that we can really feel like we're bringing people together and that idea of magic and everyone feeling like they're really explorers in this new mirrorverse is part of that and i think the mirrorverse when we're as we're thinking about it we want to bring the magic into your everyday life right uh -huh. i think people are more and more heads down kind of like getting isolated and the beauty of this is hopefully that it's going to reignite that kind of passion and desire to be curious and reflect and really have moments of wonder, regardless of if they're in their apartment or if they're out in the mountains. Like, you know, I'm from Colorado, so I'm very, I, I, I've had these kind of like moments of like real wonder. I think that you can have these like aha moments, like when you're in the mountains, the sun's setting and everything, you're like, but everyone doesn't have the ability to just kind of like, you know, gallivant off into the mountains. <laughs> How can yeah. we bring that experience to you in your room, wherever you are? Um, and I think too, is, you know, we have obviously as a platform, it's going to have to be social and that's, I think a part of it too, that's really interesting that we're starting to think through. Okay, great, great. Um, <laughs> so Jake, I think there's no need to mention about NFT craze right now, but as you said, Jodhu is taking a different approach by introducing NFTs in AR. How do you think these two technologies can complement each other? Totally. Um, I think the beautiful thing right now is, you know, one of one of the things that's most time consuming when I was making any of my projects is just the time it takes to make the assets, right? Uh -huh, and yeah. the the beautiful, absolutely like, truly amazing part of what's happening in the NFT space is there is an avalanche of assets being made. And these assets are art, these assets are NFTs. Um and people are really you know, I think there are, there's definitely a handful of cash grabs, but there are also plenty of like really detailed, really well thought out, beautiful collections that are starting to come out um, with, you know, real community drivers behind them. And for us, we want to provide the utility and tools for those things to go even further, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of the teams that are building uh, these collections, they have incredible artists, they have incredible blockchain devs. Um, what they don't necessarily have nor you know should they have is 
a dedicated team that spent five years just every day staying up late thinking about what's how does AR work? What's the what's gonna feel good in augmented yeah. reality? Yeah. And we do have that. And what we want to provide really and what we've been <laughs> having great success with, honestly. I, I you know, I've done business development and partnerships and things for a long time. And I don't think I've ever had such an easy sell in my life, right? Um, uh -huh. which is you talk you talk with a team <laughs> that's building 3D NFTs and you say, look, do you want to have your community be able to play with them in augmented reality? Do you want to have more items and things that they can share and play and do kind of crazy things? The answer is always yes. How could it be anything but? <laughs> um, and yeah, do you want it on, you know, on mobile? Yes, of course. <laughs> um, so that's really where we see ourselves is really acting as an enabler to bring, let people's collections now exist in AR and then really creating this like, horizontal layer of utility across NFT collections and communities that add even more fun and interesting interaction. So for example, um, uh, do, should we get into jetpacks or we can, we can pull up? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Let's okay. go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we wanted to really, I think what was clear to us is we had to build it to show people what, what are we talking about here? Cause it's kind of, you know, there's some cognitive leaps you have to kind of go on to get there. Uh -huh. Um, so for us, when we talk about utility and tools, that for us, one of the first things was, okay, we're bringing these different NFT collections, 3D NFT collections into AR, making them playable characters. You have like a digital joystick, you can walk around with your character. That alone, mind-blowing to lots of folks, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, when their options are really like, I can hold it in my crypto wallet, I can have it as my profile picture, pretty much not a lot of other things to do with it. Um, and again, there are teams that are building out really interesting, like real life use cases and whatnot. But for us, was one of those was like, look, you can just play with it in AR. So when we thought about, okay, what is that utility or that tool that's going to be really fun and interesting? Uh, we kind of almost immediately, weirdly, <laughs> landed on jetpacks because we wanted to add a new form of transportation and uh -huh. like movement mechanic. And instead of being able to move horizontally, being able to move vertically. So we kind of started building these jetpacks um, with that express intention and a one of the most fun development periods of my life. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, very, very rare. It was fun to kind of like talk with my parents like, yeah, I'm like, I'm building jetpacks for augmented reality. <laughs> They're like, what are you saying to us? <laughs> um, but so what ended up happening is we released kind of 1,111 of these jetpacks. There's kind of a scale of rarity associated with these. There's kind of 60%, which were the standard white jetpack. Um, we had 30%, which were like the dark mode black jetpack with some kind of fun stickers on them. And then we partnered with this incredible um, person named Trippy, who's kind of like cultivated mm -hmm. over a course of a number of years, a community tied really around psychedelic art. And then we'd actually hit in as like a fun Easter egg for everyone, a one of one jetpack, which was a gold jetpack. And we didn't tell uh -huh. anyone about this until after all the jetpacks sold. And it, you know, I think it was a really fun thing for our community to be like, Hey, you know, everyone kind of knows the stakes and we're like, actually one of you is sitting on truly a gold mine. <laughs> uh -huh. um, community went crazy. It was really, really fun. But the, you know, the jetpack sale we were doing as almost like a test to see, we knew it was fun functionality in AR. Um, we hadn't really established our launch date for our app at that point, but we, we were pretty, we had pretty firm belief that it was going to be something that would go moderately well, you know, if not like pretty well, it ended up really wildly exceeding our expectations. Um, it was the number one trending collection on OpenSea after launch. It sold out uh -huh. in 20 seconds. Like I said, <laughs> he went to, you know, the, the mint went live. He clicked Mint. He went back to our Discord to say, hey, the Mint is live. And he came back and his transaction failed because it <laughs> sold out already. Um, and, you know, this was, I think for us, you know, the way we structured it was everyone gets a jet, everyone who gets a jetpack, they don't actually know what they've got. And we're going to reveal them in like, you know, 24 hours or so. And because of that, there was this period between when someone bought it and when they knew what they had that uh you know the trading was kind of crazy it was one it was really like the highest pre-reveal -re floor in nft history where people 
had such value on this because there wasn't anything like this where you could say, hey, not only do I have an interesting piece of art, which you know we've got, this is something that is, the 3D files are minted on chain where it's like you're actually getting the thing that you're supposed to be getting, but also you know that imminently you're about to have a mobile app that's going to support this and let you do fun things with it. Um, so the value proposition is, uh, I think, really, really good for something like this. Mm -hmm. And it's been fun to start talking with all these different collections and start seeing now that we've done the bigger technical lift of creating a system that lets us very quickly and easily allow these different 3D collections to come into our app and be playable characters. Um, now we get into the really fun part, which is starting to think about what are our future drops going to be? What other types of utility can we bring to these collections um, and creators? And we're really excited to see, honestly, the creative chaos that ensues <laughs> as people you know, are able to take their assets into AR and play with them. And what does that mean? And I think, it, I think there's going to be this kind of domino effect as it unlocks the idea of spatial NFTs. So it's, yeah, we're, this is a really good time to talk, honestly. I'm glad we're getting the chance to sit down. Yeah, of course, of course. So um, Jake Jodry is in um, on ERC721, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so are there any plans to connect Jodry's smart contracts with other projects as well? Um, we're always considering. I think what's nice is, you know, we're first and foremost an augmented reality company. Um, uh-huh. So we will kind of continue to evaluate both what chain we're on. Is there a way to kind of like support multiple chains? So that, that's definitely like an ongoing thing for us. Um, it's a really good question. I don't have like a fantastic answer at this time though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. So Jake, you mentioned also about NFTs and communities. Um, how do you think NFTs shape communities? Um, it depends on the NFT. Honestly, I think, uh -huh. and the team, it really depends on the team. Um, the team leads what the community becomes. And there are a number of collections. Like I think the, the Board of Yacht Club is probably one of the most interesting. It's yeah, kind exactly. of got this blue. And it's interesting, I think, mostly because they're really reinvesting the, the money they're making into the community. Like they just announced their roadmap the other day which includes everything from blockchain-based mobile games to actually having like a permanent, uh, like in real life facility, facility in it's like a bar or club type setup uh -huh. in Miami that's just for their members. So I am really impressed with them. And I love, you know, they're doing like the inversion of what we're doing, which is they're taking the digital assets and making physical things you know? uh -huh. and we're saying look we're actually bringing your digital assets into the physical world so there's there's like different shades of the same color which is nice yeah. i think um you know the oni force collection i love how they're world building um you know they really use their collection as like a jumping off point to start both a discord centered rpg which is crazy and awesome um as someone who used to play dungeons and dragons i'm obsessed with it <laughs> um where, where community members who have an empty are actually able to go and they can like really build the lore around their character participate they have they must have they have a couple discord mods going basically full time that are acting as dungeon masters like reacting to what people are saying building different you know spaces you can go into bartering training like it's robust you know they have occasional like they really like story time where they have the uh creators basically read the lore of the world that's slowly developing so i think like and look then there are other collections where it's pretty financially centric which again is like a very reasonable thing it's just not the most interesting thing um, and as we kind of discussed like i like complex problems and the idea of how do you build a community in a way that lasts, um, I think, you know, again, I'm coming from Hollywood, I'm a sucker for artists. So I think it, I think the financial incentive is a really, really powerful one. <laughs> but I think when you can bring together a Venn diagram of financial incentive, art, and emotional, that's when you get to a really interesting thing that I think has permanence. 
Um, so it's going to be exciting to see how a lot of these start to unfold. Because again, it's, it's iterating really fast, right? There was a moment exactly. where, you know, I think this idea of like 10,000, you know, each one's unique profile picture collections, I think are probably not over, but there's definitely exhaustion from the space of, like, <laughs> I was looking at like the release schedule. Like they, there's like easily like five or six coming out like every single day. And it's not, the, the thing is what's going to set one apart from another one, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the answer is the team and their strategy around it. And I think there will kind of be, maybe not pressure, but I think there will be success for the teams that say, look, we're going to build some of these things first and have like a very, you know, consistent rollout rather than what a lot of times what happens is again, you can't bootstrap everything. Like it's you know, some of these collections are effectively startups, right? Where they're saying, yeah, yeah. hey, we were selling this collection with the revenue generated from that. We're going to start building X, Y, and Z. Um, I think what will have to start happening is community members will have this expectation of actually being delivered things on a faster timeline, which that's why we're excited, right? It's like, we, we built the app before we released the jetpacks. <laughs> <laughs> it was very easy for us to be like, hey, you got a jetpack two weeks from now, you're going to have a mobile AR app that lets you play with all the things. And after that, we're going to have more and more and more, and we don't have to wait to receive the revenue to kind of jump into it. So it's been fun. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. So, Jake, right now we are very early with technologies like <laughs> blockchain and NFTs. And I think the use cases are also in their early forms. How do you see NFTs over um, collectibles and what are the real use cases that will actually give value to users and actually solve a problem in, I mean, in a later stage and later form? It's a great question. Um, I mean, I think short term, the use cases, it's a much more interesting version of trading stocks, uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> right? You're like, yeah. you get community, you get actually interesting art, which heaven forbid that be part of it. I think longer term, <clears throat> one of the things will be... I think like the blockchain gaming space is really interesting. Again, mm -hmm, diehard exactly. gamer. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to definitely look back in 10 years and it's going to be laughable to have any game company think that they can, the value proposition be like, hey, give me $60, I'll give you a game, the end. Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, I've put, I love Overwatch. I'm very excited for Overwatch <laughs> to come out. <laughs> and I've sunk thousands of hours into overwatch and to sit there and be like damn i could have made probably not like a life-changing amount of money but a good chunk of cash to have played this game for at this point like five six years that really hurts right now <laughs> um so i think that's going to be one of the definitely interesting avenues and as these you know games which are really fundamentally being like hey community perform a function and you'll get re rewarded for it, and that reward will be tied to some sort of finances. What'll start to happen, um, I think there's potential for, as these communities grow and we kind of like surpass the idea of a 10,000 limiter, and we start getting into 100,000 or, you know, enough collections that of 10,000 that suddenly you're at like, you know, 100,000, a million pieces, and people are bought in, and there is kind of like a pool of resources available that the community can vote on how it's utilized. Yeah. That that starts to get really interesting. And I, I you know, we can go as far down the road as you want, but I think like fundamentally it can be heading in this direction of really getting to choose the digital nation that you want to participate in and how that nation chooses to use their resources, whether it's to build a community park for a place where a lot of their communities in one place, or say, look, we're gonna buy uh, bus pass for everyone that has this, or I'm really interested in like the partnerships level, which is like, how does Board Ape Yacht Club like decide to partner with New York City and be like, everyone who's a Board Ape Yacht Club member also gets uh, a Metro pass, you know, for life or whatever it's going to be. Um, that starts getting cool. Now you're like, oh, like, okay, they're incentivizing people to actually mobilize on the planet and move and, tr and use transportation in ways that are not you know, may not be their first choice, but there's a reward mechanism that is going to let them do that. Um, so, and look, 
you're right, which is we are early. I feel like in nine months, it's completely molted and gone through a whole like 10 year cycle already. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah exactly. It, 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 yeah, it really, I mean, where do you think it's, where, what do you think? I would, I'm fascinated now where you think it's headed. Yeah, you know, Jake, I think collectibles are a good thing and a good start and they ship communities. Also, um, NFTs in game industry will be huge, I think. But the, the greatest manifestation of NFTs, I think, will be in metaverses, where we will actually need to define ownership and manage simulations. I think they will be huge, huge in metaverses in the future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that idea of digital identity, honestly, just ownership, right? Um, yeah, I'm curious to see how the larger companies handle this, because I think there is like a philosophical difference in approach between yeah. the NFT kind of crypto underground and yeah. a lot of these established things that like it's going to be hard I think for some of them to transition they're just like their business models are not set up to really work <laughs> with exactly. everyone owning exactly. their own stuff so yeah that I very curious yeah, exactly. So, um, Jake, we mentioned some of the good um, value propositions of NFTs, like shipping communities. But NFTs, I think, sometimes uh, also reflect some bad virtues, um, like bragging and status signaling, which I think are not good traits. What do you think about that and how we can solve it, if you agree with me on this? Love that question. Um, I... I think humans definitely to a certain degree, I'm not saying it's a 90-10, but I think inherently they love to really show who they are and your individuality is a, can often be an amalgamation of the things you choose. And yeah. in this case, you know, some of those things are becoming NFTs as, and I, I think, you know, like, does an NFT represent like, are these like the Gucci bags of the future? I don't think they are. I think they're, I think they're a lot closer to, hmm, I don't want to say religions. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, you know, there's religions a shared. Religions are also a community. They are. And they're, you know, it's tied around a shared ethos and, you know, different levels of moral, per uh, different perspectives, right? Like that's what yeah. I think it boils down to what's, and I think, I don't think there's necessarily something wrong with that. Um, I think it's just a question of how loud is the microphone that they're using. It's always fine uh -huh. for someone to, you know, tip tap their beat. But I think when it starts to be cacophonous is when it can definitely be frustrating. Um, I think right now, because these collections are so tied to folks' finances, finances that for a lot of people that are in this space, there's definitely folks that are um, coming from a wealthier background that are in this, but I think there are a lot of people where this has already been fundamentally life-changing and people want to talk about that. And I, you know, I'm just like every day it's someone's been able to afford a new, been able to afford a house or they've been able to pay off their student loans mm -hmm. and having, you know, I paid off, I'm 32 or 31 is like, I paid off my student loans probably like two years ago. And I was very fortunate and kind of like my college tuition package is like, I would scream that from the tallest mountain for as long as possible, especially if it was because I had been clever enough to get into the space early and had a bunch of great art that I loved. That's, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and it's been, I have like a, I have a younger brother who's like a decade younger than me. So there's always this like really interesting generational divide. Yeah. And I'm starting to educate him on this and hope and really trying to get him to understand like how this kind of like Titanic shift is happening. And I think for a lot of these young folks that are frustrated with how, a lot of things are having like a mechanism to be both technically savvy, artistic and change their lives is, I don't know if we're going to get away from the virtue <laughs> side of it anytime soon. But I do think, I think hopefully it transitions from, Hey, I have this piece of expensive art to, Hey, I'm in this great community. Let me tell you about it. And the art is really the admission ticket in some of those cases for that. 
Mm-hmm. Great. Um, Jake, you mentioned uh, earlier about NFT's role in um, funding startups. Um, do you think NFTs uh, can be a serious um, alternative to ICOs and VC investments to help startups fund themselves? Um, I think so. I think it just depends. Um, you know, again, for me, this gets back to a little bit to the team and what they're going to do with it. Um, I think, you know, the benefit of like institutional investors is they can provide a lot of infrastructure. And for some of these, uh, teams that are not necessarily, again, like not necessarily like trying to build a, a product in the sense of like something they're shipping, but are building a, a product in the sense of like, almost like a weird subscription, like club slash subscription. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think they can provide, there's, there's a, a ton of value that can come from that. Um, whether it's. Um, you know, I think a lot of the bigger firms definitely have like their finger on the pulse, uh, both in wa- both in Washington and like, kind of like legally understanding, you know, it's one thing to launch a collection. It's another to be like, what are the tax implications of this, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And I think that is definitely one place a lot of education needs to happen extremely quickly for everyone. Every time I see someone buying a Tesla, I'm like, oh my God, please tell me you saved money for taxes on whatever uh-huh. you just liquidated into fiat please 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 tell me that happened um so i think it's a it's a really nice alternative route i think it definitely uh to kind of go with like a token sale uh can be great it definitely allows you to maintain more of the equity it allows you to really control your own destiny but it's a bit of a double-edged sword right um you're, it's super volatile mm-hmm. versus having really like cash in the bank which you know i think what Bitcoin and Ethereum went down a chunk today. Is like that'd be scary if you're yeah. if you're a, if you're a company that has a burn rate and suddenly you've lost ten percent of the of the money that you had. And again, it kind of you know that's the rodeo you're choosing to ride a little bit with all this space, which can be you know there's high upside, there's potential catastrophic downside. But I think I definitely felt this way at large. Is that it's very hard you know, the best things you can have usually are control, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the best. Yeah. Um, control control and stability. Usually those don't go together, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they can. And so I think it will, I think a lot of the models will start be becoming getting fine-tuned as we see what's working, what's not working. The complexity, honestly, blends of the two um, will start to happen where you have a VC that maybe is like, look, I want... Um, I'm going to give you a cash injection, but I'm also, I want a portion of those token sales. And Mm -hmm. you're like, that's great. I would love to see more things like that developing. Yeah, yeah, me too. So Jake, as of our last question, how do you see the future of NFTs and AR? Um, I mean, I know exactly, and this is a very skewed perspective but i think these will be moving more and more into 3d i think the age of 2d nfts by and large especially as we think about like it being a representation of a person it's moving into 3d mm-hmm. um i i think it's gonna be very hard to go back again there will still be a place for 2d nfts but it will be more i think in the art world right um or in oh, man there are some really interesting like NFT RPG like type thing. like there will be a whole Dungeons and Dragons type subset of NFTs, but um, and I think there there will start to be a lot more mechanics as people figure out like right now, you know, to get whitelisted or participate if you don't have the if you don't have the financial resources is it's like a growth hack marketing setup where you're like, hey, mm-hmm. retweet this, post this, invite X people to Discord. That is, it's fine. It's just boring, right? Uh-huh. Um, it's very Web2 mindset. And it works great for Web2. And it's working like pretty well right now in Web3, you know, the beginnings of it. But it's not the most interesting thing you can do. And I think for us, looking at this is how can you get people to do more interesting things? Again, walk five miles and you get whitelisted much better. So helpful mm-hmm. to everyone. And it, it, you know, it levels the playing field in a way that right now, like my discord's basically unusable. I've got like 200,000 <laughs> <you know, laughs> um, spam uh, DMs. And it's just like, 
I think a lot of people are just getting, again, burnt out on that mentality. It's like, if, you, if you're not on Discord 10 hours a day, like you're missing, there's, the amount of FOMO is toxic, right? Mm -hmm. So I think these things will start to stabilize in some ways. And I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work, really being like, look, it's not about being part of every single drop. It's, it's about figuring out like, what are the communities that you actually align with, whether it's spiritually, mentally, physically, if it's in a specific location and helping build them. And the wealth generation comes out of it really growing and sustaining over time, more so than you making a quick buck and taking the mint price, flipping it for 20X at two ETH and kind of just like walking away from it, which again, it's a reasonable way to do it, but it's not, it's, I think I would be, it's very unsustainable unless you're kind of coming from the world of like day trading, <laughs> what you love doing, but, and it's, it doesn't, you know, it's not as rewarding. You want to see like the teams that are great. You want to see them succeed. You want to help them succeed. Like even, exactly. uh, you know, like for us and Johnny, like the, the memes that we see from coming from our discord, it's so rewarding it's mm -hmm. awesome and it makes us be like yeah we're gonna like work harder like they deserve it the community deserves it this is great um so i think the feedback loops have to become more two-way versus right now it's it's just a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally agree well jake thanks very much for joining the all things links our podcast it was a pleasure yeah of course man great question seriously thank you <laughs>